So good. Well, welcome to our uh, summer crew. Summer crew, aka the OG Breakthrough People. We love summertime. It is honestly such a beautiful time to go deep. I know during the school year when there's a lot of people, it's hard to really build uh, deep connection and relationship. And so I want to encourage you guys, man, if you're a local, if you live here, you're here over the summer, and you've been coming to Breakthrough for a while, and you, you feel like maybe you're, you're here, but you're kind of like on the outskirts, I really encourage you this summer, press in, dive deep. Uh, community will change your life. Healthy Christian community will change your life. Whose life has been changed because of the community they found in this place? There you go. You can find that here too. So I encourage you guys to press in. I'm going to give a few quick announcements. The first thing, uh, as you guys know, we want to encourage you guys to serve. This is an amazing way to dive in uh, over the summer. Uh, it's such a practical way to just be a part of the vision that God is building here. And, uh, you know, after service, we'll have some of our leaders can go to the back and talk to them, get some more information. But we have a creative team. Do you have any creatives in the room? Come on, our whole creative team is gone for the summer. So... Uh, if you're any photographers or if you love social media uh, or if you're a designer, uh, we'd love for you guys to join. Uh, we also have our kids team, which our kids team, uh, man, they are the best. We love our kids team. They sacrifice being in service to watch your kids. And uh, we're so grateful for that. So I want to encourage you guys, if you want to serve in that way, that is a huge need as well. Uh, the second thing, this is a really exciting announcement. Um, is we have had prayer room every Saturday at 9 o'clock, and we are starting an evening prayer set. Uh, so we're going to have two prayer sets every single week, Saturday morning and Tuesday evening. And uh, our first evening set is this coming Tuesday. So that's in two days. So if Saturday mornings are hard for you, or it's hard to get out the house, um, come join us on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Uh, we're just going to have a devotional set. So you can come, bring your Bible, spend time with the Lord. Um, just, yeah, encounter the Lord in, in a really beautiful way. And so we want to facilitate space to first minister and love to the Lord, but also create space for you to be ministered to as well. So that is this Tuesday at 7 p.m. I encourage you guys to make it out. And then the second fun thing that we do every single summer is we do a end-of-month church potluck every single uh, month during the summer. So this is just an amazing way just to connect. I remember last summer, uh, so many people got to meet people they never would have met if it wasn't for this, and now they're friends, and uh, it's a really sweet time. So next Sunday is our first summer church potluck. And uh, how it's going to work is just bring your best dish. You know, if you want to have bragging rights, feel free to chef it up. And uh, what you're going to do is just drop it off over at HQ. We'll probably have a volunteer that will help you just know where to put things. And then you can come straight into service. As soon as service is done, we're going to move over to HQ. And we're just going to have food, hang out, talk, get to know each other. So encourage you guys to come uh, to that next Sunday right after church. The last thing is giving, and uh, giving is such a beautiful thing. I know for a lot of people it feels awkward or uncomfortable, uh, but Paul gives us a really good picture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he says this, he says, but since you excel, this is him talking to Titus, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, in complete earnest, earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel 
in this grace of giving. So he's saying that you are excelling in everything, in your faith, in your knowledge, in your speech, but I want to also encourage you to excel, not just to do the bare minimum, but to excel in the grace of giving. He knows giving is a grace. So if it's hard for you to give, ask the Lord to give you a grace to give. There you go. He says this in verse eight, and he says, I'm not commanding you, so it's not a command, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. How beautiful is that? So he's saying, I'm not commanding you, I'm not forcing you to do this, but I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to test the sincerity of your love. Because who knows where your treasure is, so is your heart. That what you invest in, what you uh, 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 sow into reveals what you value. And so I just want to encourage you guys, this is more than just, okay, we need money, but this is a beautiful opportunity to step into the grace of giving, to step into this invitation. And so if this is a place that you value, if you value this community, and if you value what the Lord is stewarding in this house, I encourage you guys to excel in the grace of giving. So I'm gonna pray and we will jump in. So Father, thank you so much for this amazing group of people. I pray that you would just stir our hearts to see what you see, to stir our hearts to value what you value. And I pray, Lord, if this is a place that you are highlighting for us to invest, not just our finances, but also our lives, that we would join in to build the house that you're building. And so Lord, I pray right now over the room that you would give people the grace to give, that they would excel even if they feel like they have no money, they have a lot, or if they have needs. I pray that you would test the sincerity of our love. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, awesome. So we are continuing our series called Let Him Lead, and we are diving into the transformative leadership of Jesus. And uh, this has been a really fun series. Uh, for the next few weeks, what we are specifically diving into is the ways the Lord primarily leads us. If you're last week, we talked about one of the ways the Lord primarily leads us is with his voice or through speaking. Uh, but today, I want to go a little bit deeper, so let's jump to Romans 8, 14. <clears throat> Romans eight fourteen. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So last week, we talked about how the Lord leads us by speaking. Today, we're diving in on how the Lord leads us by the Spirit. So he leads us with his voice, leads us by speaking, and he leads us by the Spirit. John 16, 14, uh, Jesus says this, referring to the, the Holy Spirit, he says, he will glorify me. That the central role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and exalt Jesus to humanity. But if you look throughout scripture, the role of the spirit from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that the 
role of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, is always in tangent with humanity. The only time that the Holy Spirit works apart from humanity is in creation. And so throughout the whole Bible, whenever we see the Holy Spirit moving and working, it's always in tangent in partnership with people. J.I. Packer, he wrote this book called Keep in Step of the Spirit, and his main point is this, that the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the Christian area to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. So good. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is sent to make Jesus real to you. The Holy Spirit is sent to show you who he really is so that we can come to love him and trust him and obey him and to show him to the world. Who's grateful for the Holy Spirit? Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I will be with you always. How can he say that? It's because he sent the Spirit. That he is always with us because we have the Holy Spirit who gives us access to God's presence. Right? Paul says that you are now a temple of what? The Holy Spirit. God, God dwells now within you. So going back to Romans 8:14, okay. It says this, it's really, it's really interesting. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit are what? Children or sons or daughters of God. So Paul speaks here that those who follow the Spirit or who are led by the Spirit reveal themselves to be God's children. So I want you to hear this, that your, yieldest, your yieldedness to the Holy Spirit reveals whose you are. I'm going to say that this side of the room. Your yieldedness to the Holy Spirit reveals whose you are. So if you bark, you are a what? You're a dog. Or you're crazy, right? If you bark, you're a dog. If you quack, you're a what? You're a duck. Good job. You passed. If you are led by the Spirit, then you're a what? You're a child of God. And so God's leadership in your life, it's, it's interesting because it, it mirrors, the, it connects being led by the Spirit, your ability to, to engage in submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He connects it with the fact of your identity. So God's leadership in your life is less about what you do, but more about who you become. And so in his leadership, and I, and I fully believe this, the Holy Spirit he is leading you, right? right? We, we use this phrase as charismatics, be spirit-led. We're led by the spirit. Spirit-led, spirit-bred, you know what I'm saying? And we use this phrase, but where is he leading us? He's leading us to become more like Jesus. That if his central ministry is to glorify, to magnify, to make Jesus real and known and tangible and experiential and accessible, then the goal is so that we can become more like him, to be transformed into his likeness. That in John 14, 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
that the word advocate in Greek, you guys may know this, is the word paraclete. Can you say paraclete? One of the translations for the word paraclete, there's not really a, a word that perfectly translates to English uh, for this Greek word, but one of the phrases that paraclete can translate into is the one who walks beside. That the Holy Spirit is the one who walks beside, that he is our advocate, he is our comforter, he is our counselor, he is our friend, he is our helper, and he is our guide. We need the Holy Spirit. That John 16, 13 says this, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. In the Spirit's leadership, he knows what is to come. So when you are struggling to know where to go, you can depend on the one who walks beside. So I want to cover really quick three big misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Three big misconceptions that I've seen. I, you know, I grew, grew up Presbyterian, and um, being... Spirit-filled and charismatic didn't happen until later in my life. But one of the things that I tell people when I got radically transformed by Jesus, it was the two things that changed my life. I grew up in church my whole life. I was a missionary kid. Two things that changed my whole life. First thing was that I actually believed God loved me. Changed everything. If you don't believe that yet, it'll change everything. And the second thing that I didn't realize that transformed my life was that I actually had the Holy Spirit. And I think for a lot of people, you know, who, who here grew up in a church that barely talked about the Holy Spirit? Keep your hands up. It's like 70% of the room. That if you grew up in an environment or even if it's just in your personal study and you don't understand the Holy Spirit, there's going to be a lot of misconceptions. So one of the first, and I've seen as the biggest misconception is that people view the Holy Spirit as more of a force, not a person. And how you can know this is, is by listening to people's language when they talk about the Holy Spirit. It's very easy. Whenever someone refers to the Holy Spirit as an it, it reveals that misconception. Maybe you do this. That's okay. This is what I'm here to teach. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, right? We see this throughout scripture. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. How can you grieve an it? The Holy Spirit is referred to a he, right? He has a, he has a noun. Uh, he's a noun. Uh, one of this quote by Ari Tori. this is a really cool story, but this season of my life, you know, grew up pretty much anti-Holy Spirit, right? Charismatic stuff was like demonic in my view for whatever reason. And got encountered by the Lord in my bedroom by myself, had no grid, never met anyone that was spirit-filled or never saw that, and was just figuring it out by myself. I was starting to learn about the Holy Spirit, and it was like this awakening in my life, and I was talking to my dad about it, and apparently my dad talked to his, his, one of his coworkers at Liberty about, like, yeah, my son's like learning about the Holy Spirit, blah, 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 and his coworker, I don't know if you remember this, but his coworker was randomly at a bookstore, and out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit in my dad's coworker highlighted this red book in this bookstore. And he went and grabbed it. And it's a book by R.A. Torrey about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. So he gave that book to my dad. My dad gave that book to me. That 
changed my understanding of the Holy Spirit. So I want to read some quotes from R.A. Torrey, who is an amazing theologian. And I want it just to help us if there are any misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He is a person. R.A. Torrey, he says this, if the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person and we do not know him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender to himself, which are his due. The second misconception is that the Holy Spirit only does spectacular things. The truth is he also guides and equips us for everyday interactions, that he leads us in our day-to-day. I always tell people who, when they think about the Holy Spirit and feel like the Holy Spirit's weird, they've seen weird things, I tell people that the Holy Spirit isn't weird, people are weird. Ethan isn't weird. The Holy Spirit, I'm just kidding. And yes, the Holy Spirit will make you do really crazy things that are outside of your bubble. But I just want to purify your view of the Holy Spirit. That he doesn't just make you fall out, which is, you know, he can do that and he does do that. He doesn't just make you speak in tongues, which he can do that and he does do that. But the Holy Spirit is necessary. You need him to guide and lead you in your everyday life. The R.A. Torrey, he says this, he says, if we think of the Holy Spirit as merely a power influence, which a lot of Christians, you know, think that way, then our constant thought, this is so good, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? If we only view the spirit as an it, as a force, as a power that we can just manipulate or whatever, then we're going to miss out on the reality of the invitation of being led by the spirit. That's not about how can I have more of the Holy Spirit, because you're a temple, all of God dwells in you already. But if you want more of God, you have to give God more of yourself. How can the Holy Spirit have more of me? Is that good? Here's the third one. The third and last misconception about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is extra or optional. A lot of Christians, it's weird, I don't like that. I don't like how people follow the Holy Spirit or talk with the Holy Spirit alike. I don't want to be associated with that. I want to be associated with Breakthrough Church because they're kind of crazy sometimes. We've heard that a lot. Um, and we, we, we view the Christian life as if the Holy Spirit, because we, you know, the baseline everyone believes if you're a Christian, you believe you have the Holy Spirit. That's like a given. It doesn't matter if you're a cessationist or whatever denomination. You, you believe theologically you have the Holy Spirit. But what I'm referring to is people living their Christian lives and walking their Christian walk as if the Holy Spirit is just optional. So what's this understanding is I know Jesus, I got all that I need, but Jesus says actually for your good, it's actually for your better that I leave. Because if I don't leave, you won't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, I won't be glorified. <laughs> I, will, I won't be made real to you. That we can't do, I want you to hear this. You struggle with this misconception. We cannot do all that Jesus calls us to do without the Holy Spirit. So if you want to do what Jesus calls you to do, 
you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I always tell people that the Holy Spirit or, or the Christian life with, without the Holy Spirit is literally impossible. To do the Christian life, to do what Jesus has called you to do without being led, without being yielded to the Holy Spirit is actually impossible. How can you love your enemy? <laughs> like from just a, a practical state, how can you love? It doesn't say like. <laughs> love your enemy. Love your abuser. How can you engage in that type of agape, right, sacrificial love without God dwelling in you, without engaging with God dwelling in you? R.A. Tori says this, it is the Holy Spirit, we're good, it is the Holy Spirit who creates in us this new nature or imparts this new nature to us. No amount of preaching, no matter how orthodox it may be, no amount of mere study of the word will regenerate unless the Holy Spirit works. It is he and he alone who makes a man a new creature. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just make you fall out. He makes you a better husband. Right? He doesn't just give you words of prophecy, which it's all, all important, but he also helps you develop your character. Yeah, <laughs> it also helps you heal. So it's very easy to get lost in the gifts and power, which again, it's important. But even scripture says that the gifts are without repentance. You can heal people with an unrepented heart. Judas did it. <laughs> All right. John 16, 7 to 11. It's kind of where we're going to camp out for the rest of today. It says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. It is to your advantage. Say advantage. It is to your benefit that I go away. How many of you have grown up and you're like, Jesus, if you were just right here in front of me, I'll trust you. Jesus, if, if you audibly spoke to me, if you were just like, if you showed me yourself and you appeared physically, then I'll do what you called me to do. <laughs> the Israelites had that. It work. It says, I tell you the truth, it is actually for your benefits, for your good that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the paraclete, the helper will not come to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So if the Lord leads by the Spirit, then we need to understand why he was sent and his Role. So I want to break this down. The first thing is that the Spirit leads by convicting the world of sin. Spirit leads by convicting the world of sin.
that one of the worst mistakes that we can make in our effort to bring someone to Jesus is trying to convince them of their sin in our own power. That don't try to do the Holy Spirit's work that he can only do. That the work of convincing men of sin, I remember this one story back when Breakthrough was a house church. We, we met at nighttime and we, we had our, our gathering and we left with, a, with one of my friends who was, was a newer believer and very zealous. And we happened to have leftover pizza, right? Because that's just, I guess, what we did back then. But leftover pizza, we're driving, I was driving to drop him off at his house. And he lived in a, in a pretty, you know, a pretty hard area in Lynchburg. And when we were walking, there was this, this homeless guy that I think was just like hitchhiking or something. And I felt from the Lord, let's stop. Let's, let's feel like we're supposed to give him this pizza and just love on him and share the love of Jesus. And so we pull over, gave him this pizza. And my friend who was a newer believer just immediately started debating with him. It was like Facebook thread debating about how wrong his beliefs are. And the guy, granted, was, was pretty crazy and believed in aliens, and it was like this whole weird thing. But my friend, the whole time, he was just like, this is why you're wrong, this is, this is why you're stuck in sin, this is like blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and it just kept going back and forth. And I'm like, this is, this is so pointless. And so I'm like, man, we love you, Jesus loves you, God bless. He died for your sins. Here's some pizza. And we left. And I, and I was talking to him. I was like, man, that's not how you do it. <laughs> I was like, that's not your job <laughs> to tell him how messed up he is. That you're just here. You need to show him how much Jesus loves him. That will be more fruitful. So the Spirit leads by convicting the world of sin. Think about this, that the Holy Spirit can convince the most hardened and blinded man of sin, that he can change someone from utter carelessness and indifference to a place where they're overwhelmed with a sense of their need of a Savior. Think about either your life or someone that you know who seemed like the most impossible person to be saved. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's people in your life like, man, I just, I know Jesus died for them, but I have no clue if you're going to make it, you know. Just kidding. But we, we, we see literally people, I've known people in my, my, my own life, people that talk to that, man, there's literally the things that you've been through, the things that you've overcome, it makes no sense based on what you've been through that you would fully give your life to Jesus, but you are. And those end up being some of the most powerful people in the kingdom. He who has been forgiven much loves much. The reason that that happens, and we haven't seen that, I, I mean, we're seeing that a lot now, even in culture. There's a lot of celebrities and musicians and people that are just like, man, there's, I didn't expect that one. That was a plot twist. But now they're, they're professing their faith in Jesus. And it's because the Holy Spirit leads by convicting the world of sin. But in verse 9, it says this that he convicts the world concerning sin, listen, it's singular, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That sin here is singular, so what sin is it? It's simply the sin of unbelief in Jesus. That unbelief, hear this, is the root of all sin. The root of all sin is unbelief. 
that the Spirit isn't going around telling people how messed up they are, <laughs> that he's moving on the earth, revealing their unbelief and need for Jesus. Amen? All right, the second one is that the Spirit leads by convicting believers of our righteousness. That if you see the language in the passage, that it starts with saying, and then when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I will go to the Father and you, sign of believers, will no longer see me. So the Holy Spirit, I, I, I think this is the most important part, the Holy Spirit leads by convicting, or another way, convincing you of your righteousness. I heard someone say that righteousness is not right doing, but right stating before God because of your right believing. You are made right with God, not by your doing, but because of your believing. And so now Jesus goes back to the Father in heaven. His disciples are now left here on earth. Who would be there to remind them of their right standing with God? Who would remind the believers to come of their righteousness before God? The Holy Spirit does. That Romans 5.17 says this, for if because of one man's trespass, it's talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If you actually grasp the revelation of this, it will change everything. That if you struggle in your relationship with God, believing that some days God is far and some days God is close and it's a roller coaster ride. It doesn't mean life's, life's gonna be hard either way, but you have this dynamic with God where it's like, man, I'm just like surfing. <laughs> it's like I'm going up, I'm going down with God, I'm going up with God. Sometimes I feel God loves me, sometimes I feel like God doesn't love me. If you struggle with that, it's because you don't believe that you are righteous before God. That 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake... He made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. I say this all the time. How did he who knew no sin become sin on the cross? He received it. So how did we, who were full of sin, become righteous before God? We receive it through faith. And I want to go back to Romans 5, 17, because this is really interesting. I want you just to see how significant. Because for some people, it's, it's like, no, that's, that seems too simple. <laughs> or that's, that's, that doesn't seem like a fair trade, right? It's kind of the point. But I want you to see the, the significance of this. What Paul is saying, because of Adam, think of this, through one person's disobedience, the world is what it is now. Wars, destruction, pain, abuse, sickness. Through one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Think about this. That was merely a man. How much more will the Son of God, the Son of Man, God himself, through his one final act of obedience, changed the course of everything else. 
that we can now walk in right standing with God. Think about that. Who receive the abundance, say abundance, of grace and the free gift of righteousness. How much more will those people reign in life? They're called here to reign through that one man, Jesus Christ. Think about how Jesus interacted with sinners on earth. Think of the woman caught in adultery that she's staying there. Pharisees are there. It's this super humiliating moment for this woman. They go to Jesus and they said, Rabbi, you know, the law says this, that if someone commit adultery, then you can stone them. Show us, do it. Jesus, obviously, he reflects the core of the law and he reflects it back and he says, okay, you without sin, go ahead. Immediately, you see in the story, they are dropping their stones. They walk away. Jesus is looking face to face with this woman and he looks at her and he says, woman, who here condemns you? And if you think about it, in their minds, the Pharisees were probably still condemning her. But because she was face to face with God, she saw his face, she saw how he saw her, and it fixed her eyes, and she realized, wait, no one does. You're not condemning me. So he frees her from the shame, the guilt, on the condemnation, and then he ends and he says, then go and sin no longer. Doesn't sweep it on the rug. He reveals to her who she actually is in his sight, listen, and that is what empowered her to go and sin no longer. But oftentimes when I'm, a lot of the guys I'm discipling, you know, are struggling with things and things come up, one of the first things that I do when they're confessing something to me, I confess back to them who they really are. I hear you. I see you, but I remind you who you actually are. And because of that, go and sin no longer. Titus 3.5, it says this, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it is not about our works or shortcomings, but based fully on Jesus's righteousness. The Holy Spirit isn't here to point out all of your sins. Yes, he will reveal to you what is becoming a barrier, but his role is to convict you and convince you of who you actually are, that who you actually are in Christ, that in the days that you feel far from God, let the Holy Spirit remind you that you have right standing before the Father, that you are standing, it says in scripture, that you are seated in heavenly places with him. The reason you can sit it's because the work is finished. The, the, the barrier of separation that your shame and your condemnation has created, the, the, the cavern, the, the depth, the distance that's created, let that truth wash over you by the Holy Spirit that you are standing right next to. The 
Romans 8.16 says that the Spirit himself bears with our spirit that we are children of God. He reminds us of who we actually are. So the Holy Spirit's role and leadership in our lives, in the life of the believer, is to convince or convict you of who you really are. Remember Romans 8.14, that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The third and last one is that he leads by convicting the devil of his judgment. That verse 11 says this, he convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it seemed as if he were judged there, but in reality, the prince of this world, which is the devil, was the one being judged at the cross. And by raising Jesus from the dead, the Father made it plain to all coming ages that the cross was not the judgment of Christ, but the judgment of the prince of darkness. Then Colossians 2.14, worshiping come up, says this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So what does this look like in our lives? If you are receiving lies and guilt and shame and condemnation, which doesn't come from God, right? For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Then the Holy Spirit will convict and convince you that the accuser already stands accused. That the one who is trying to overtake you has already been overtaken. That as the enemy and the lies try to condemn you, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is convicting and convincing you that he is the one that already stands condemned. So in other words, to wrap this all up, the most basic ministry of the Holy Spirit in this age is the glorification of Jesus Christ, crucified for sins, risen triumphant over Satan, making us righteous on the basis of his blood, ascending in triumph and kingly power in heaven, and coming again. Can we read this together? Can we all stand? I think this is important. Let's read this together. The most basic ministry of the Holy Spirit in this age is the glorification of Jesus Christ, crucified for sins, risen triumph over Satan, making us righteous on the basis of the blood, ascending in triumph and kingly power in heaven and coming again. Amen. So he leads by the Spirit. I'm going to end here. I heard a Michael Miller, who's a pastor of Upper Room, he shared this story. He was talking about the difference of doves and pigeons. If you look at the difference that anatomically they're very similar, just in the same family, but personality-wise, very different. Or you see pigeons, if you're in New York City, they're everywhere, they're eating you know, food, they're coming up to you, they still don't care about anything. 
Funny enough, they're also polygamous, which is just a random fact. So they're nasty. And doves are very different. Doves, they commit to one. Amen. They're very delicate, but doves are very sensitive. So as you know, in scripture refers to the Holy Spirit as a dove, and I think it's really significant. God doesn't just give imagery just to like, here's one little thing, that's it. There's depth in that. That when Jesus was baptized, it says that the heavens open, you hear the Father say, this is my son, my beloved, the one in whom I'm well pleased. It says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and remained. Michael Miller, he was talking about that for a dove to remain, to rest on us, you can't expect a sensitive dove to adjust to you. You have to adjust to the dove. For a dove to remain, you can't expect a dove to come and do what you want. You have to be aware and sensitive to what the dove is doing for the dove to remain. So this is the invitation of being led by the Spirit is that you have to be sensitive to the Spirit. I think there's just an invitation and an awakening for people maybe listening to those misconceptions, you're like, that's me, that's me, that's me. Or maybe you grew up in charismania your whole life. But I feel an invitation today for our church, for Breakthrough Church, to become sensitive again to the Holy Spirit. To become yielded to the dove. That in our day to day, what would happen if we're living in such a way that we're sensitive to what the Spirit wants to lead us into? to lead us to. And I feel like that spiritual muscle almost just hasn't been used for a lot of people in a long time. I feel the Lord wants to awaken that muscle again. That when you're driving down the street, you see a homeless person, you are sensitive to the Spirit's voice to stop, give them some pizza, tell them how much Jesus loves them. That when you're in your day-to-day and you're overwhelmed and the chaos is coming, that you're sensitive enough to the Spirit that you know how to allow Him to rest on you. I mean, feel this even for creatives in the room as an artist, that as you're creating sensitive to what the Lord is inviting you into to create. So for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for sending your Spirit Spirit, we repent 
for not giving you the honor that you deserve, the attention and awareness. Would you awaken us to realize your leadership in our life, that Jesus has given us an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a friend, a one who walks beside. And Jesus, let us become sensitive and aware again of your spirit. The spirit who's leading us to become more like Jesus, the spirit that is leading us to forgive, the spirit that is leading us to let go of bitterness, the spirit that is leading us away from fear, the spirit that is leading us into all truth, let us become sensitive again. So Holy Spirit, we say that we become sensitive to you again. And I feel like just in your heart, even if you don't know what that looks like or what that means for you presently, just in your heart, just tell Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. I become aware and sensitive again to your leadership in my life. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me.